I am not yet a parent, but I can't wait to be. I'm 37 years old, so I'm getting my start into parenthood quite a bit later than many of my friends, many if not most of whom have children. I have had a masterclass in parenting from learning from their various experiences and by reading books like the one we are talking about today on the show, The Five Principles of Parenting, Your Essential Guide to Raising Good Humans by Dr. Eliza Pressman, which is out January 23rd. Dr. Pressman's five principles all begin with an R. Relationships, reflection, regulation, rules, and repair, all leading to the sixth R, which is resilience. She will explain more about those in this conversation. And we talk today all about parenting, how there is no right way to parent, reparenting ourselves, how it feels harder than ever to be a parent. Parenting is the hardest work anyone will ever do. In the book, Dr. Pressman calls it a long game. I can't wait for all of you parents to hear what Dr. Pressman has to say, and I hope that it absolves you of your mom guilt or your dad guilt. I hope her words will give you the permission you need to let that guilt go once and for all. It is such an enriching conversation, and Dr. Pressman has an extremely popular podcast of her own, Raising Good Humans. She is a developmental psychologist with nearly two decades of experience working with families and the healthcare providers who care for them. She is an assistant clinical professor in the Division of Behavioral Health Department of Pediatrics at the School of Medicine at Mount Sinai Hospital, where she is the co-founding director of the Mount Sinai Parenting Center. Dr. Pressman was educated at Dartmouth and holds a PhD in developmental psychology from Columbia. She herself is the mother of two teenagers and has a lot of wisdom to impart to us. Take a listen. Thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I've just told you offline, I'm not yet a parent. Hope to do that within, you know, the next few years. So many of my friends are, so many of our listeners are, and right off the top, I want to dispel a myth, which I feel wild that we have to dispel this, but that there is no one right way to parent. And you talk about that in your book. So yeah. I'd, love, I'd love for you to speak to that because I think that maybe, I, I don't know who still thinks this, but that there's some magic formula out there to doing the hardest job in the world. So I would love for you to dispel the myth that there's one right way to parent? So that is such a myth because it's as, as much of a myth and as believable as there's one or unbelievable as there's one right, right way to be a person. Like there's no way that first of all, that would be very boring and the world would be so boring if that were the case, but also we don't ever expect that there's one specific right way to do, you know, peopling. And there certainly wouldn't then be one right way for all these wildly different people in the world to be one right parent. Absolutely. And, you know, there, I mean, there's some, I guess best, and and I'm having this conversation as someone who has not yet experienced this. So I feel, but I, I know just from walking with my friends through this parenting journey that they're on, that there may be some best practices, right? But there's no, there's no magic formula. It's certainly not a one size fits all situation. It certainly isn't. And, you know, we all have like some idea of what, I, I mean, this is why it's great to do this and think about this before you even have kids or mm-hmm. at the early part of the journey, but it 
works for any time, but just being aware of what you actually think your goals are for what it means to be a good parent or a good human or any of those things is just, it just helps you be more intentional. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, you're a podcaster as well, a prolific podcaster at that. Your show is called Raising Good Humans. I listen to the show again, even though I don't have children, because it's just, it's so informative and it's, it's actually relatable even to someone who doesn't have kids. And that this podcast is a cornerstone of your work. I love the phrase raising good humans. I'm just wondering how that phrase came to be. So I, um, you know, when about, I think, guess it was 2019, Mm -hmm. I started this podcast and I was asked by the podcast producing, producing company, Dear Media, they were like, what do you want to call it? And I said, I don't, I I hadn't, it had not occurred to me because Mm -hmm. I just, um, I don't know. I was just kind of like, not, I I had never planned on doing a podcast. So I was like, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Um, so I sat down and I wrote what my experience told me that parents are thinking about Mm -hmm. and like what captures this thing that we're all kind of going for. And I decided that it was raising good humans. Um, and so unfortunately, shortly after that, a book came out with that title, which is not my book. Um, I didn't know that. Okay. That's that's a good call out. Actually. That's good to know. Yeah, that's why I called my book the five principles of parenting your Uh essential guide to raising good humans because, um, well, one, raising good humans felt like it might be a little general and vague. And two, that was already a book title. (laughs) That That makes sense. I actually did wonder that because I was, I would just be a natural through line, but that makes sense. Raising good humans is in the subtitle. So. Yeah. It was one of those things where I was like, oh, that is a bummer. But I have a, but now that I know how publishing works, I'm sure they had that title well before it came out. And it Mm -hmm. was just, you know, one of those things. It was just a coincidence. Yeah. Well, I think the cornerstone of your book is the, of course, as the title suggests, the five principles of parenting. So those are relationships with, they're all all our names, which is, you know, of course, as a woman with a name that starts with an R, I just kind of love that, but relationships, reflection, regulation, rules, and repair. So again, listeners, if you want the full deep dive on these five principles, absolutely, please go get this book. You will love it. But on a high level, can we break down those five and, and why they made the cut as the five principles of parenting? So the five principles are relationship, reflection, regulation, rules, and repair. And the idea is that those are the things that are sort of controllable in our lives that are highly linked with resilience. Mm -hmm. Um, And I chose them because I really believe that there is a deep science to this process of becoming a human that you want to be and raising humans. And in addition to that, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really matter that's out there. And I wanted to, and there's stuff between like minutia details that are rooted in science, but don't actually move the needle. Mm-hmm. They might be interesting for you. You might want to do them anyway, but they're not for the purposes of this bigger picture, long life journey. 
And I really thought about how this robust science is kind of getting lost and overcomplicated. And so I wanted to kind of pull out the stars of the science. Mm -hmm. And that's why I landed on these highly evidence-based, robust aspects of the science of raising our kids and ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to kind of clear away the rest of the noise and make it easy just, or, I mean, it's never going to be easy to raise our kids because it's emotionally the most vulnerable charged thing we're doing, Mm -hmm. but it does not have to be technically difficult. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. I want to talk about two things that you just said. I'm going to start here because I think probably one of the most interesting parts of the book is that we do the work that we're not only raising our children, but as you just said, raising ourselves. And I am 37 and I'm actually, I've, for a long time, I've been really unhappy that I've waited this long. It wasn't really by choice that I've waited this long to become a parent, but I'm actually so thankful now that I'm getting, if you will, a bit later start because I've had the opportunity to do the work on myself to really try at least because I'm never going to be perfect, but to try to come into my mothering journey as as healed as I can. And, and I've had that time, whereas I would not have had that time if I'd had a child at like 24, 25 years old. So I want to talk about the concept of raising ourselves. Can you talk about that and, and reparenting and why that is just so important? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the, the big ask is, can we take the time to really investigate how we came to be who we are and what parts of ourselves need support, need the love and parenting that we didn't get? That's the reparenting part. Mm-hmm. And not because we didn't have loving parents. Sure. The majority of us, no matter what the experience was, even if it was terrible, those parents deeply believed and loved us. They just might not have had the capacity to operationalize that in a way that was healthy Mm -hmm. because maybe they didn't have that experience or life circumstances, but now we can take ownership of it. We're adults. And the great thing about our human selves is that the brain is plastic and we can rewire. So if we've wired in some habits that are born from early experiences that were not best supporting us, we can do it again. We can practice, we can exercise those muscles. So for example, if we have, if we struggle to take a space or distinguish between an emergency and, you know, like a threat that would require a stress response of fight, flight, or freeze, you know, Mm -hmm. screaming at somebody or running away or something that, you know, checking out that has its place in emergencies. Mm -hmm. But for the majority of the time, it's not an emergency. We're just lashing out at the Starbucks barista because Mm -hmm. we haven't learned how to regulate when we don't like how we feel. Mm, Yeah. And that comes from our early experiences and that's okay. And side note, sometimes you had a great early experience. You're really self-regulated, but you lose it because you're just frustrated and tired. Yeah. So it's not all pathology, but it is stuff that we can work on so that we just get better at it. Absolutely. I said this on a previous episode, a recent episode of the show is that one of the 
best revelations I've had as an adult is when I realized that my parents are just people. And, you know, as I now am 37 and am, you know, probably far beyond the age that most people start parenting, I don't have, I don't feel any, I mean, I I'm, I'm not perfect. I, there was no special class in adulting that I went to, nor did my parents, nor did any parents. And I think, yeah, just really just being cognizant of it is, is so important. And your book also taught me about the sixth R, which you mentioned a minute ago, and that's resilience. So why is resilience so important in raising children? Well, the whole point of it really, like we think about, do we want, what, what do we want for ourselves and for our kids? And resilience means that we can bounce back in the face of setbacks, adversity, and stressful life events. And if we can do that, you know, you don't have to be happy all the time. You don't have to be thriving all the time, but you want to be able to get back up on the horse. Mm-hmm. And we want our kids to, that is sort of the thing that gets us going every day. Yeah. So resilience without it and its absence, we suffer. We don't believe that we can go on. And sometimes that's related to the big S's, you know, like big, big stressors, big T traumas, things that really do challenge us and push us. And sometimes it's the little things where we just don't have capacity to keep going and to try try again and to believe that things are worth taking, you know, that making the effort and the time for, because we just give up. Mm-hmm. So I would say resilience is as a, as a construct is everything that we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's built on connection. It really is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want you, if you could, to explain to me, because I'm so fascinated by this now, like after after reading your book, I'm even more so fascinated, and I'm sure that listeners will be as well, about the field of developmental psychology. Tell us more about the field as a whole. So the field of developmental psychology, I think, is really fascinating because instead of looking at psychopathology, like it's not a, it's not a something's going on, we have to fix it kind of field. Mm -hmm. It's really about looking at change over time and development over time and how we come to be who we are. And that takes into account our intellectual and our emotional and our social development. So it kind of covers everything environmental that's related to being a person. Yeah. That's it's, it's endlessly fascinating to me. And the work that you do is just the work that everyone does is so important. We all bring something to the table, but especially the work that you're doing is just, it really is moving the needle. And I've always kind of seen parenting as an art, but your book says that there is a science to parenting. What is, Mm. what is the science of parenting? So the science is the stuff that, you know, this field has and adjacent fields have looked at where, and I, I do think it's important to recognize that science to me needs to be replicated in multiple settings with multiple diverse populations and over time and have significant change. So like they, there really are significant associations in whatever is being looked at. So for example, if I'm talking about regulation as one of the five R's, that's because 
over the years in multiple settings, we have learned from the sciences that having self and self-regulation, mm-hmm. co-regulation, that's when you're regulating with your child or another person, mm-hmm. you are more likely to be resilient, function better, have better relationships, have more joy, all of the things that that has positive outcomes and has been shown to have positive outcomes over time. So to me, that's science. And it it's not for one specific population, but every population that's been studied. So you know that it actually matters for you, no matter what your life experience is, that matters. Now, I think it's interesting that that is completely consistent with the spiritual kind of wisdom of ages, mm-hmm. mindfulness, that didn't have science behind it for centuries, but it does now. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of interestingly can look at the science and see, oh, that's so funny that the science of resilience and raising humans is very interestingly consistent with some of the science, some of the intuitive stuff that we didn't necessarily need to know. And I think that's what art is. That's the art of parenting for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. I just, my brain likes the comfort of some element of certainty. Sure. And so I think science, even though it's not certain, it is, it, it gives some sense in this crazy wild world that there's something that we can control. Mm-hmm. And for me, I chose things that were the only thing you can control yourself. So all mm-hmm. of these concepts that I work on in the book are in our control. We can't control our kids or our partners, but we mm-hmm. can control ourselves. Mm-hmm. But just doing that in the context of these principles. And of course, in the book, I talk about the science conceptually, but then I go into all of the very specific ways that it can apply to any situation so that I'm not leaving people with like figuring it out on their own. Mm-hmm. But I do kind of want people to say like, okay, I'm getting, I can, I can plug and play this into any situation. No, I love, I love the thought of a mixture of the art of parenting in the science, because I love some data. Like I love some research and it feels feels really good to be like, okay, this is science backed. This is science backed research. And you know, there's some there, there, there's some meat on this bone. And as you were talking about resilience, I'm just sitting here thinking, so I, I don't know if it's, it's always been hard to be a parent. Okay. It's always been hard to be a parent, but I don't know if it's ever been harder in a certain sense to be a parent with freaking social media, the elf on the shelf. We are recording this in early January. So many of my friends feel like they just got, got offloaded like a second job now that the elf on the shelf is done for at least the ne- next year. And I just, I, I find a lot of parents that I know of young children focused on perfection, which obviously is unattainable. Why are so many parents focused on perfection? And I wish, you know, I have no authority to give this permission slip, but just a permission slip to, to not, to, I, and what I'm trying to say is the, the imperfections in one's parenting are what build that resilience in children. So it's actually, I mean, I'm not saying like, let's strive to be super imperfect today in our parenting, but those imperfections, which are inevitable, those build resilience in children. And so it's not, it's not always a bad thing. I just, I don't, I don't even know what I'm trying to ask you, Dr. Pressman, other than that, like, I wish that we could give parents a permission slip to, to not try to be so perfect because that has to be so exhausting. 
I believe in my heart of hearts that the perfectionism, first of all, let's just be real mothers, particularly women mm-hmm. um, are more prone to perfectionism. Totally. That's just the, that's the thing. So then when you top that off with having this most important job in the world, you want to get it so right. Mm-hmm. And it, it's natural to want to be perfect. The irony is that it's no favor to your kids because then it teaches them that perfection is attainable and the goal, and that's burdensome. Yeah. So I actually want the permission slip to say, you will be more perfect if you make mistakes than if you yes. actually are perfect. Can you say that one more time? Cause I want all of my friends listening. You have kids who talk to me all the time about, I, I, I messed up good. I'm glad you did it. So say that one more time yes. if you can. It's kind of perfect. Parenting is the enemy of perfect parenting. Yes. Oh yes. That's so freeing. <laughs> That's so freeing. Gosh. I do really think it is. And, and we just know this, this is the science. Like we need ruptures in our relationships in order to strengthen the muscles and make it clear that the relationship is stable enough that it can handle it. And then we thrive in other relationships. So if we don't think that it, you know, if you're walking on eggshells as a child with your parent, because you think if there's any discord, the relationship will be severed permanently, mm-hmm. you're going to avoid any, any missteps. And then you're going to get into your adult relationships. Mm-hmm. And then the minute something goes wrong, your body is going to be like, I'm out. This yes. isn't supposed to happen. Yes. But, but we know that that's not true. We know that strong relationships have tiny ruptures, just like, you know, when you work out a muscle there in order for it to get strong, it has to have little tears that then require our body to make that muscle stronger, bigger, stronger, faster. Mm. It's the same thing in human relationships. And obviously we're talking about, we're not talking about big T trauma here. No, we're talking about little tears, just like when you work out, you wouldn't, you know, nobody's saying that it's healthy to break your, you know, like to tear your muscle to the point where it can't be repaired, but it's about, um, the tiny little micro tears Mm -hmm. that require, you know, it's, it's the same way when you go to the dermatologist, if they're like, if I do a laser on your skin, it's going to, you know, produce a heat that's going to make your skin rebuild collagen or whatever, but of course you wouldn't want to burn your face for real. Exactly. We just had a plastic surgeon on the show this week. Actually. Yes. 100%. I think it's so healthy actually to, in my children, God, they'll get the masterclass in making mistakes for me, but like that, you know, and just in life and in general, but I think it's so healthy to show a child. Okay. I, to tell a child I made a mistake, but you know what, I'm going to fix it and model that for them because that allows them to say, okay, well I could make mistakes, which they inevitably will. And I can fix them. Cause if my mom and dad can do it, then so can I, I, I think that's such great advice, especially in a culture where all we see is highlight reels on social, social media, and all we see is quote unquote perfection. And obviously we know that that's not true, but that's what it looks like. And so just 
listeners, please, who are parents, please see that as your permission slip to just, it's okay. It's actually good in some, in some ways. And the book covers such a wide swath from how more isn't always better when it comes to extracurriculars, which is very prescient to devices, which I think is a constant conversation among modern parents to gratitude. So I don't even know how you'll be able to answer this because there's so many interesting facets of the book, but what is the most interesting piece of research that you learned from writing the book? Oh, I don't know if I can. I mean, a little bit, I didn't, this book was a culmination of the work that I've been doing. So it wasn't so much learning new research as it was figuring out how to curate the research so that I didn't muddy the waters with too much noise Mm -hmm. so that I could make sure that each one of the topics mentioned was relevant to actually guiding and supporting growth and not causing more stress and things on the to-do list. Mm -hmm. So that was more, more of my challenge was curating the research than discovering new research. Mm -hmm. But I will say this, something that I learned in the last few years that I think is really fascinating is that our brain, brains obviously are always developing, but there are points during which the brain develops more than other points. So the first few years of life that, you know, that's when there are like a million, if not more new neural connections every second, which is just shocking. But then there's another boost. Now, most like a huge chunk of the brain does develop in those first few years, but then there's another huge boost in adolescence. And the third biggest moment for brain growth is transition to parenthood. And I think that is so inspiring because we sort of think we've given up by then, like our development is over and it's actually a huge push. We make bigger changes. There's a, you know, like an idea of mom brain where you're kind of Mm -hmm. scattered and can't find your keys. That's a myth because I mean, it's not a myth and that there is a mom brain, this transition to parenthood, but it's actually where you reprioritize and are better able to strengthen the things that you're motivated to do. And finding your keys may not be important to you because keeping this child growing and developing is important to you or quitting smoking is important to to you because it's going to benefit your child. So all of these things happen in this third cluster of growth in our lifetime which is the transition to parenthood. And I do think that's cool and heartening. That is super cool. And I also love how, like, as we were just talking about a minute ago, I don't think that you can finish this book and feel mom guilt. Like maybe you did before. It's just, it's a very freeing experience. It's just listeners. You just, anybody who's a parent listening. And even if you're not like me, I got so much out of it and you are a parent. I'm wondering What do you wish since this is your life's work? What could you imagine you're me again on the precipice of, of being a parent? What would you tell yourself as you prepared to become a parent for the first time? What, what would you say, I guess, is the number one lesson that you've, and you've learned a lot of lessons because this really is your life's work, but that you, that you wish you'd known back then. I would say, I wish I had known that the small micromanagement and minutia 
of everything but myself mm-hmm. was not effective <laughs> and just like exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had known that you can't control your partner's parenting. Mm. I mean, I knew that intellectually, but I don't think I believed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you can really focus on your growth and development. And I think the most important thing is we know from, from the science that when you reflect, when you think back on your experience being parented and really come to terms with what parts of it you thought worked, what parts of it felt good and what parts of it you would not want to replicate your attachment relationship strengthens. Mm. That's so good. And I'm, I'm just seeing you're thinking, you know, if, 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 our, if we have energy and we have, you know, a hundred percent of energy and we put so much energy into trying to control someone else, whether it's our child or partner or whatever, that's just, that seems wasted energy. And I would rather take that energy back and put it into you know, doing what I have control over, as you said, and that, and the only thing I do have control over is myself. And I think that's a really important lesson to learn on, on the top. And I, I've just had like a masterclass in parenting before I've even gotten started through your work. I, I listened to raising good humans and I have for years, my friends, it's just, I, I'm so excited to do this because I feel like I'm, I'm more prepared than maybe I would have been it, as I said, 20, 425. But I really, I like, there's a couple parts of the book as we begin to close our time together that I want to highlight that I just found super interesting. I, I pulled them out and highlighted them is the parents hierarchy of needs. I thought that was cool. Of course we, you know, I, I have a master's degree in higher education, so I know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but this is the parents hierarchy of needs. Can you explain that? Well, I just, you know, I, I sort of was having fun with that, just reminding us that just like with Maslow. And I think, you know, that is more fun and interesting. I don't know if it's like the, the, there, it, well, nobody can see it, but there's a, there's a triangle, like a hierarchical yep. triangle. Yep. And I think the idea is that we have to recognize at, obviously we need our, our sleep and our, our physical activity and, that kind of like the stuff that makes sure that our bodies are good to go. I mean, I would say sleep is probably, you know, if you talk to any psychologist, particularly clinical psychologists, they'll say like, if we could make sure everybody got a good night's sleep, we would reduce mental health diagnoses by so such a huge percentage. Um, So it's not, you know, it's pretty important. That's actually why I get deep into the, you know, very specific ways to help everybody get sleep over the ages, because it's just too important in terms of hierarchy. My final question for you, when readers close the book, what do you hope they will leave feeling or saying about the experience of reading the book? Oh, I love that question. Thank you. Relief. Mm. Yes. I'd like them to feel relief. And, and confidence <laughs> and they will and they will and listeners 
I think and hope this book will change so many lives. I know it will. The book again is called the five principles of parenting your essential guide to raising good humans. It is out January 23rd. This has been such a great conversation and the book is fantastic. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for thinking about this already. I am so excited to become a parent. So, so good. And in addition to her podcast, Raising Good Humans, Dr. Pressman also has a substack of the same name that is worth a subscribe. And once again, her book is called The Five Principles of Parenting, Your Essential Guide to Raising Good Humans. And it is out January 23rd. On Thursday, we have an incredible conversation with a very well-known author whose book has been made into the latest Ryan Murphy TV show. Am I being vague? Yes, I am. But it is a conversation you won't want to miss as it is as juicy as can be. See you Thursday.